0: Okay, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Infusion Church. If you would find your seats this morning, I would appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, My name is Tom Wing. I'm one of the, part of the team of pastors here. This is my wife, Julia. This is one of our horde of children that we have. Uh, we have five, five children, um, and this is the newest one, Julian, and the others are somewhere, I don't know, <laughs> running around. So, so uh, Julia is going to read the text for us this morning, and then I'll pray, and Matt will come. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14.
1: Be imitators of God, therefore, as Dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret but everything exposed by the light becomes visible for it is light that makes everything visible this is why it is said wake up O sleeper rise from the dead and christ will shine on you
0: to join me in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for for Jesus. We're grateful for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ and and the the grace and the mercy and the love that you have shown us in Jesus, Father, and that you have drawn us unto yourself, God, and that because of what Jesus has done, we can have a relationship with you, Lord. Uh, We thank you for your word that you have given to us as a gift, Father, that we may know better who you are and and what you've done for us so that we can know who we are, Lord, and and what we should do uh, and how we should live here on this earth for your glory. Father, I pray for Matt this morning as he preaches that uh, he would be confident in you this morning, Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak through him grace and truth. I pray for us, the hearers this morning, Lord, that you would captivate our hearts and that we would be ready to hear, and to learn, and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of you. Ultimately, Lord, this morning, we want you to be glorified and the body of Christ, to be edified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, church. It is good to see you uh, this morning. For those who are new, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, and uh, if we have not met yet, I would love to meet you. Please, after the service is over, introduce yourself to me. I'd, I'd love to, to get to know you. Uh, to bring you up to speed, we're in a series called uh, Church Life for the, the, rest, of the uh, rest of the summer. And this morning we're, we're tackling pretty heavy scripture. As most of, of you know, there has been a, a lot of social media discussion lately about various aspects of of sexuality. Anybody else notice that here? Right. Obviously, sexuality is an important issue for most people, and of course, it should be because it addresses so much joy and sorrow, fulfillment and emptiness, pleasure and pain, acceptance. And rejection but then when people try to talk about it and different views of sexuality start to clash the discussion devolves into an ugly fight anybody here know what I'm talking about yes now I tend if you know me I tend to be tough on Christians including myself but not so tough on non-christians for biblical reasons so let me just get a kind of tough on on Christians here this morning from the get-go I want to start with this before I forget it if you do not genuinely love the person or people with whom you are sharing your views of sexuality it would be wise of you to not share your views of sexuality if you do not genuinely love the person or people with whom uh, you are sharing your views of sexuality, it would be wise of you to keep your mouth shut, to delete your Facebook account, your Twitter account, your Pinterest account. I, I, don't, even, I don't have a Pinterest account. I don't know if people are talking about this stuff on Pinterest or not. <laughs> I, you know, going into this, it it might be, I mentioned this on my Facebook post last night. I don't know if you read it or or not, but I may be naive. But it will always be my sincere hope and prayer, desire, desire and goal to see people of different backgrounds and opposing perspectives and clashing values united here by grace and truth in loving community. I believe the scriptures teach us and show us that this really is possible. It is critical if our discussions about issues like sexuality are going to be respectful, if they're going to be healthy, if they're going to be helpful. This morning as part of our church life series, we're going to talk about sex. Now there is so much we could talk about when it comes to sex. So many questions surrounding marriage. So many questions surrounding divorce, uh, heterosexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality, transgenderism, polygamy, polyamory, celibacy, sex education, abortion, family planning, and so much more. And then there's the politics of it all. Now, who here thinks I can thoughtfully address all of that in one sermon? Wow, you guys are very optimistic. (laughs) I'm not as optimistic as you are. So there's no way I'm gonna be able to tackle all of that. This morning, um, there may be a, a, a chance that you'll be disappointed with me that I did not answer the specific question you might be asking right now. However, it is my hope that after we're done this morning, We'll leave here with with something that can help us think through all of the various issues. A lens through which we can view every single area of our life, including our sexuality. A perspective that that can fill our hearts with with peace and, and humility. And humility is key. It is critical. Absolutely critical. So, if we are going to start off on the right foot, we need to remember that we are all on level ground here this morning. No one is better than anyone else here this morning. No one is superior. Everyone in this room, including me, is a selfish sinner in all areas of life, including sex. Does that sound negative to you? (laughs) Might sound a little negative, maybe, but it leads to a positive humility. It makes it possible for us to talk about this. It would be absolutely stupid of me to talk down to anyone. This is for all of us, not just the other people you think that aren't here this morning. They wish they were here because they really need to hear this. This is for you. This is for me. God has a loving message about sex for all of us, no matter your age, whether you're single or married or Christian or not. I want to handle this with care, but keep in mind that um, I am still growing i 'm still learning and how to talk about this in ways that are that are sensitive to people and, and, and their struggles, learning how to talk about it and not coming across as as, as a, a bigot or narrow minded uh, somebody that learning how to talk about it in a loving and, and gracious way see here 's what I know on it 's very possible that on One end, some people may think that I'm undermining the truth uh, by pandering to those who disagree with me. Or on the other end, some people may think I'm wrapping up bigotry and false compassion. Now look, I really do want to be gracious. And it is my prayer that you can be gracious with me as well. Our text this morning is about sex and, and God's new community. God calls the followers of Jesus, God's God's new community, to live out a radically different sex life than the culture around them so that the world might see the wisdom and the beauty and the passion of sex as God intended it. God calls us as a community of grace to bless our culture, to bless the world in which we live. He did not call us to condemn it with an attitude of superiority, And here's why. Countless families are being ripped apart by adultery and divorce. Couples who've been married for years and years, possibly decades, are still struggling in their sexual relationship. And it's a source of incredible pain and isolation and feeling alone. There's an extremely high likelihood for homeless youth to lose their virginity early, have multiple sex partners, engage in unprotected sex and use of alcohol or other drugs prior to sex, resulting in a high risk of acquiring HIV. Lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth are four times more likely to attempt suicide. Twenty-five percent of transgenders have made a serious attempt at suicide, and over half are seriously considering it? Let me ask you something. How likely is it for any of them to turn to the church for help? Seriously. How likely is it? For any of them to turn to the church for help, how, how convinced are they that, that it is the church's desire to bless them and to minister to them and to welcome them and accept them and be a hospitable to them and to protect them and stand with them? And not from a place of superiority with the Savior complex, but with humility and understanding and grace. I think the church has a lot of work to do. And needs to take the time to learn how we can be a blessing and a source of encouragement and hope when it comes to sexuality. (sighs) And if we're going to be more humble, and if we're going to be more helpful, we absolutely need to take an honest look in the mirror at our own sexuality issues first. So we're going to ask three questions of the text. What, why, and how? My teaching is, is based on the work of a mentor of mine named Dick Kaufman, one of the wisest and humble, most humble people I know. And our, our first question is this. What, in light of the scripture, what are we to do? And here's the short answer if you're taking notes. We put off the old sexuality and put on the new sexuality. Paul tells us to to put off sexual immorality and put on a life of love. He sees all of the turmoil and brokenness and hurt and and loneliness and and, and rejection. And and he knows that in our hearts we're thinking there has got to be a better way. And Paul says there is. Looking at the context of our passage, you know, we see... Uh, We see that in in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Paul's telling us what the Christian life looks like. And and what he says is is the way you do this is is to put off the old way and, and to put on the new way. And Paul gets really practical and he lists off several things like lies and truth, anger and peace, stealing and contentment, bitterness and forgiveness. And in each and every case he tells us to put off the old and to put on the new. But then... He gets to the issue of sex and he kind of camps out on this issue. He spends more time on this issue than any of the others. It was important then and it's important now. And he wants us to see, he wants us to know that sex is supposed to be far better than we ever even imagined. You know why? Well, Paul tells us because sex... It's not just physical. It's spiritual. It always has been. There is so much more to sex than you may have imagined. So Paul says, put off the old sexuality. Now, question What was going on in Ephesus and in that culture? What was Paul a- addressing here? Well, we, we look at, at verse 3, and he says, sexual immorality impurity and greed Paul uses three sexually loaded words here the first two are pretty obvious right but but even greed this this insatiable desire for more and in verse 4 Paul Paul adds obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking or or making light of of sexual sin you know people think that that we have Progressed when it, when it comes to sex, that, that we're more enlightened now. But the same things going on in our day were going on then, even more so in Ephesus. It was just a, another day in, in Ephesus. It's nothing new. In fact, 300 years before Paul, There was this dude named Demosthenes. He was this intellectual, cultural leader of his day. And and this quote I'm about to read says a lot about his perspective of sexuality and his culture. And he says this. He says, Mistresses, we keep for the sake of our pleasure. Concubines, for the daily care of our persons. But wives, to bear us legitimate children and to be faithful guardians of our household. You know, promoting and pursuing a preferred way of living and view of sexuality, even if it hurts others, has been going on since forever. And it's usually disguised as enlightenment or sophistication. God calls it immoral, and he tells his new community, put that off. He tells us here to put off the old sexuality and to put on the new sexuality. Look back at verse 1 and and 2. He says... Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. And then he gives us the ultimate example of of love and what it looks like. He says, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All right. This is going to sound really weird. Okay? It's gonna sound really weird, but just hang in there with me. Paul says that the key to sex is the cross. Okay? And what we what he's saying is that we need to ask ourselves, what does the cross mean for my sexuality? So let's let's work through that. First, as we look at sex through the lens of the cross, we see that sex is about commitment. Now, here's what's most common in our culture. What is most common in our culture is to meet someone and fall in love, and the, fec- the sex feels so good and seems so right, but if the feelings change, they move on. See, lust is about passion without a promise. And Paul says, Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us. He went to the cross because he was committed to us. Sex is not just about feeling good. It's about a, a, a covenant commitment between a, a husband and wife, and he says, we're f- when we're as we're faithful to this commitment, God gives us a, a deeper love that goes beyond the, the initial falling in love. So much more. Second, sex is about self-sacrifice. See, the most common attitude that we see in, in, in our world today is that I love me and in order for me to f- and I need you in order for me to feel good. That's basically a pretty, a pretty common attitude. I love me and I need you in order for me to feel good. So, lust wants pleasure without the person. Paul says Christ loved us personally, gave himself for up on the cross for us Personally, new sexuality is fulfilled by by meeting the needs of our spouse, even if it means that our needs go unmet. And then third, sex is about worship. When Paul says Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, that's worship language right there. Jesus went to the cross to glorify the Father. New sexuality of commitment and self-sacrifice pleases God. And what we find out is that it pleases us as well. This is looking at sex through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of the cross. This is a life of worship that glorifies God. This says, put off the old sexual, sexual immorality and put on a new life of love. Now, the question is why, right? Why? Well, here's the short answer. If you're taking notes, why are we to do this? Because of who we are in Christ. This is critical. This gets right to the heart of the gospel. How you, listen to me, how you live does not determine who you are. Who you are determines how you live, including how we live out our sexuality. Look at Paul's logic here, okay? We put on a life of love because we are dearly loved children. Verse 1, that's what it's getting at. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Paul does not say live a life of love so that God will love you. No, he says, God loves you, therefore, live a life of love. Who you are determines what you do. And we put off sexual immorality because we are God's holy people. Verse 3, he says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now listen, his main point, his point is, is not, you better put off sexual immorality or God's going to get you. His main point is, God has made us holy in Christ by His grace, therefore live a life of holiness. Who we are determines how we live. if we don't understand this and we don't understand Christianity all the other religions and a lot of preachers in churches on you know this morning across the country will say what you do determines who you are so put on a life of love so that God will love you then you'll be holy you know what That can be a message of condemnation and shame and manipulation and guilt. True Christianity says, because of Christ and his grace, we are holy. Because of Christ and his grace, we are beloved children of God. Now be who you already are in Christ. This is where you get your identity. Now, I have a question, how in the world, how in the world can the apostle Paul call us holy? I mean, look at how we live. I I have a question, what if we projected a slideshow of just our thoughts on this screen, video clips? Of your thoughts, my thoughts on this video screen for everybody to see. Do you think anyone would call us holy? You think any one of us could act superior to anyone else after that? You think there might be fewer self righteous social media posts? Look at verse 2 again. It says, Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us as a sacrifice to God. The cross again. Jesus died on the cross as the holy, perfect son of God. He never gave in to the temptation of sexual immorality. He lived a life of love perfectly. And the scripture says that he lived that life for us. You know what that means? It means that he gives you credit for his holiness. I don't know about you, but I need that deal. I need it. I cannot be the kind of holy required by God. I need the holiness of Christ. I need to get credit for His holiness. This is our hope. Anything else will crush you and isolate you. You cannot pull yourself up by your religious bootstraps. It's when we put our trust in Him that we become connected in such a way that his death becomes our death and we are forgiven for all of our sin. His life becomes our life by making us holy, beloved children. So be who you really are in Christ. Wait a second. Pastor Matt, what about verse 5? Yeah, listen to this one. For this, for of this, you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Well, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? What about grace? Well, listen. He's not saying if you fall into... Uh, sexual sin you're eternally disqualified from God's family he's simply saying that a son or a daughter of God will want to live God's way for God and you know what God's kids will mess that up as all kids do but they want that because they sincerely love God and if we don't want to live God's way for God it just simply means that we don't want to be a son or daughter of God and if we don't want to be a son or daughter of God why would we expect an inheritance? again who we are determines how we live Christians do fall into sexual sin but because Christians have the Spirit of Christ in them, they fight it, and they struggle, and they don't give up in the struggle, and they are humble, and they are honest, and they confess, and they ask for help, and rest in God's grace, and have their faith built up in a loving community. And over time, experience change. <laughs> Paul tells us that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We are a new people by God's amazing grace and sacrifice. He makes us his sons and and his daughters and who we are leads to how we live. All right now. All of this begs the question, so what is sexual sin? Right? The passage doesn't get into specifics, okay? But it begs the question, what is sexual sin? And it's important to try to figure out how this applies to us and our day and our our culture. How do you know what sexual sin is? How do you know what sexual purity is? So, um, I've just made my sermon a little longer. I'm going to pause here for a minute. God gives us instructions about what to do and what not to do for our own good because he loves us and he wants the best for us. Not just because he's some cosmic killjoy. Right? Now I'll, I'll get to the positive instructions in our text um, in, our, in our next main point. There are also negative sounding instructions that can sound and be frustrating to us depending on where we are. First of all, I want to say this. If you are not a Christian, I do not expect you to simply accept what the scriptures say. That wouldn't make sense, right? For me, as a Christian, I'm not given the option to pick and choose what I will obey and not obey. I'm not given the option to pick or choose what I like or don't like based on bigotry or power plays or customized religion or what I'm comfortable with or familiar with I'm called to diligently learn which instructions in the Bible no longer apply to us anymore and which instructions in the Bible do apply to us and I need to trust my Heavenly Father's wisdom when I don't like it and when I don't understand it so I'm gonna go on record here I have before but again Regarding a few issues surrounding sexuality, even though the text doesn't list any specifics only because I, I think it will be helpful in learning how to draw out the implications of scripture uh, for, for our lives today, for our hearts today. And, and just so you know, I'm willing to discuss them more with you later. I'm always also willing to listen from listen to you and, and learn from you as, as we talk, okay? a two-way street. According to orthodox translation and orthodox interpretation, there are specific scriptures that address sexuality issues and still apply today for reasons that are not arbitrary and would prohibit certain things for our well-being even if we don't understand. So as we draw out the implications of scripture, this would include lust, This would include pornography. This would include sex before marriage, sex with someone who is not your spouse, sexual fantasies about someone who is not your spouse, divorce, apart from very specific exceptions, polyamory, abortion, unless there's a real threat to the life of the mother, which is rare and would be the only exception open for consideration since the scriptures teach that the baby is an innocent life that needs protection. However, the scriptures also teach us that as Christians, we do not get to neglect the needs of orphans after they're born. And if this is not controversial enough, the other elephant in the room is that the most disciplined interpretation of scripture leads us to believe that God prohibits homosexual sex in marriage. Now let me get personal, okay? The scriptures seem pretty clear about this, and personally, I don't like it. I don't fully understand it. I have friends and family who I love with all of my heart. Who have endured sinful abuse from people who claim to be Christians. I remember a teacher and a pastor, um, when, I, when I was in high school, a teacher and a pastor talking to a group of about 30 of us about how he was frustrated that our country's morals are slipping in our day. And then he bragged about how back in his day, he and his friends threw rocks at homosexuals. It still makes me incredibly angry. I personally, because of my friends and family and the abuse that they've in- endured and the isolation and the rejection, I personally have a strong desire to be 100% supportive of my gay friends and family when it comes to their relationships with their partners. However, God calls me to allow my desires to be guided by his word even if I don't fully understand it or like it. So I'm left with two options. I either need to submit to his word or I need to throw my Bible in the garbage and become an atheist. Those are the only two honest options when you boil it down. There are sections of the scripture that I simply don't like. That I don't want to accept. Sometimes, you know, I read it out loud and it sounds wrong and it feels wrong. I don't like it when it sounds hurtful or offensive. And I know that some of my friends and family feel hurt and offended by it. And so I get genuinely distressed and I lose sleep over that. I lost sleep over it last night. I got three solid hours. But that is nothing compared to the distress they've had to endure their entire lives by unloving people with no guarantee that it's gonna get any better. I I sincerely don't want friends and family that I love who are listening to me either here in this room or on the podcast. I don't want my, the friends and family I love to be hurt or offended, and, and if I have hurt or offended you, I am sincerely sorry for, any, for unnecessarily hurting you and offending you. And I hope and I pray that this, that this does not push you away or make you pull away, because the truth of the matter is, is that I need you. I, I need you in my life. I need to to learn from you I need to love you I need to be loved by you God's created us for for this for that kind of community even if we disagree or see things differently I need you because scripture corrects my own strong and deep-rooted personal desires as well and I'm gonna need your help so Paul comes, us, comes to us and says, look, I understand your desire, and, and, and I know that it looks good to you, but your heavenly father says no. Or I understand your hurt, but your heavenly father promises to make all things new, and that he is more than enough. And we tell our own kids what what they can and can't do because we love them and and they have their own ideas about what they think is okay. And and we we really want our kids to, to trust us in that. But if they don't understand, our love for them compels us to insist that they obey anyway. God loves us far more than we could ever love our own kids. So maybe we say, you know what? Living a sexually pure life according to God, according to God, that's impossible. That's where we're at. And I think we all get there at different times in our lives for different reasons. If that's in our heart, we need to be reminded of who we are. That is my main point for us today, not any one issue. The spirit of Jesus who lived a sexually pure life for us now lives in us. To live a sexually pure life through us. That that is life-giving. And that leads to our last and incredibly important question, and that is how. How are we to do this? Well, here's the short answer. It's by having a glorious vision of sex. Christians, you know, they have a horrible reputation for having a very negative view of sex, and there's no excuse for that. We are expected to have a glorious vision of sex that is more exalted than any other worldview. We're we're heading into the positive instructions for sex now. See, here's the thing. Most people fall into a couple of different camps. On one end of the spectrum, you have people who say, you know what, since sex is so powerful, there should not be any boundaries, so just... Go with it. On the other end of the spectrum, you have people who say, since sex is so powerful, it's all about boundaries. So just say no. But the gospel says sex has both power and boundaries. It is such a special gift from God that God gives us boundaries to preserve its preciousness and sex has a tremendous power because sexual desire is not just natural, it is supernatural. This French guy, Francois Mauriac, says that the sexual act has no resemblance to any other act. Its demands are frenzied and participate in infinity. It is a tidal wave. Sex is so powerful that just saying no doesn't work. Only a glorious view of sex can enable us to enjoy sex within its boundaries. We get ripped off by sexual immorality when we have a view of sex that's too low. And so what's the connection? In closing, let me just share some biblical um, background in the beginning god created us for perfect intimacy every time god created something he looked at it and he said it is good and then he created adam took one look and said it is not good for man to be alone so he created eve And he instituted marriage and blessed it with sexual intimacy. And he says this that for this reason, a man should leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God is blessing sexual intimacy, and we see the result, the beautiful result in the next verse. He says, The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. No shame. I mean, this is the way it is supposed to be. They knew each other completely. They knew each other intimately. They knew each other passionately. They knew each other shamelessly. But then sin entered the world and screwed it all up. The first thing that happened was when the man and woman realized they were naked, they they sewed fig leaves together, trying to cover their nakedness, trying to cover their shame. Sexual intimacy has been corrupted by the fall, but we still long for the intimacy of the garden. We still long for a relationship in which there is no covering up, no hiding, no shame. Intimacy where someone can know all about you and and put their arms around you and, and say, I love you. You are beautiful. You make me so happy. I will never ever leave you. We long for that. We were created for that. But even in the best of marriages, we only get a glimpse of this. And our our grasping for it, I mean we have such a strong desire, our grasping for it can sometimes create all sorts of hurtful, destructive problems for us and others. Our Lord God sees this and he says, it is not good for you to be alone. So he sent his son Jesus and he gave his life for us so that we would be washed, so that he can look at us and say, I love you. And I know everything about you, and I love you more than you will probably believe or accept, but you are precious to me. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, and I proved it on the cross. So where do I get this? Well, it's right here in their chapter, Paul's instructions to husbands and wives. He, he, says, he says this that um, he's giving instructions and he says this, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis two here. And then he adds, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and his church. Marriage and sex are incredibly spiritual. They point to our relationship with Christ. Sex and marriage can be absolutely wonderful if we realize that it can never fulfill our deepest longings. If we look to it, for it to fulfill our deepest longings, we will always feel ripped off and let down and shortchanged. When we focus on who Christ is and what he's done for us because he loves us, We won't be enslaved to anything, including sex. We'll have a glorious vision of sex characterized by commitment and self-sacrifice and and worship. Finally, I don't know, I don't know where God's word finds you this morning. Maybe you're single and and you long to be married or, or you're married and you long to be single. Maybe you're married, but your sexual relationship is just, and intimacy is just broken right now. Maybe you're in the midst of sexual temptation and you feel overwhelmed by, by the tidal wave of sexual desire. And maybe you've given in and now carry the additional burden of guilt and consequences. Maybe you got your girlfriend pregnant and you're both scared right now, or, or you have same sex attraction and you don't know if this church will welcome you. You don't know if this church will, will accept you. You don't know if this church will love you. We will. Maybe you're a victim of someone else's lust, and sex is not something glorious to you, but sex has become filled with fear, even ugly. Or maybe you love someone who's gone through that. You know what? The Bible can give us simple answers, but it never gives us simplistic answers, especially to complex problems. There is no quick fix. And I know in my extra long sermon today, I didn't answer all of your questions. But hopefully you know that we can, as a community, search for answers as we walk together as friends, as brothers and sisters, and respectfully discuss what it looks like to view our sexuality, even the various controversies, through the lens of the gospel of grace and hope. I sincerely believe that the gospel offers real hope and a very clear, specific solution, that you look to what sexual intimacy points to. God came to earth. He lived for you and died for you and rose again for you so that he could be close to you. You look to the cross and you become convinced that God has proven that he will never leave you nor forsake you nor let you down. And God calls us to be a community that helps each other and serves each other and loves each other no matter what. And together we can look forward to the day when we will meet our Savior face to face and we will know the perfect love that we long for. This means that even if you are never married, this means if your marriage is tough, this means if your marriage... Fell apart. This means if you never had sex or will never have sex again, you know that you will n- not miss out on the eternal fulfillment of your heart's deepest desire. Because all that you want, all that you really want but don't experience is Christ. All that you really long for but don't see is Christ. All that you really need to trust but don't is Christ. So trust him. This morning, François Muriac is right. The sexual act has no resemblance to any other act. It participates in infinity. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, um, pray for your grace and mercy as we all struggle with with your truth I pray Lord um, for me first and foremost that that you would continue to cultivate humility in my heart God I I pray Lord that that uh, your grace would unite us in such a way that that we can discuss these things with the spirit of, of love and graciousness with respect God forgive us uh, for not really loving the people with whom we disagree forgive us for the idolatry in our own hearts of wanting to set someone straight or whatever whatever the case is we want to shoot down their arguments or look like the wise one open-minded one the discussions can get so ugly and God I just pray um, that you would enable us to absolutely love each other uh, in spite of our our differences God I pray that that by your spirit you give us the courage to to seek and understand uh, the truth in your word and be humbled by it. And that you would give us the ability to look at all of life, including sex, through the lens of the gospel. God, I pray that you would fill our, our hearts with commitment and sacrifice and worship. God, I pray, Lord, that you would make us a, a community of, of, of grace so that we can be a blessing to our community. Forgive us for our self-righteousness and for acting superior. May we look to the cross and remember that every single one of us in this room, including and especially me, is so sinful that it took nothing less than the death of God the Son to save us. And fill us with confidence and security knowing that you were glad to do it. We pray these things in your name. With your head still bowed.